This is World Beyond War, a new podcast. Hello, I'm Mark Elliott Stein, Technology Director at World Beyond War, and we've got a remarkable podcast episode to share with you today in which you'll meet four young people who recently created peace projects as part of our Peace Education and Action for Impact program, led by our Education Director, Dr. Phil Gittens. Before we begin this conversation, I want to spend a few minutes featuring an exciting virtual film festival, the Water and War Film Festival, that World Beyond War is organizing for March 2022. If you're listening to this podcast in real time, I bet you'll be interested in this very original film festival. And I'm happy to introduce the two amazing World Beyond War organizing directors who made this happen, Rachel Small and Greta Zaro. Greta, you've been here on this podcast before, and it's great to have you back. Can you tell us a little bit about this film festival? Yeah. Thanks for having us, Mark. We're really excited. This is our second annual virtual film festival. And this year, the festival will be March 15th through March 22nd in honor of World Water Day, which is March 22nd. And the festival's title is Water and War, Exploring the Intersections of Militarism and Water, Survival and Resistance. And this is a really interesting theme. Um, You know, I think that the first thing that comes to mind when you hear water and military Militarism is, of course, the horrendous uh, history of U.S. military base contamination around the world on these bases, hundreds of bases um, that are notorious uh, for chemical contamination, which has seeped into groundwater and affected communities around the world. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. And that's what we explore in day one of the festival on March 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, um, where we talk first, uh, we have a screening of No Defense which is a full-length film that talks about what I just discussed in terms of this widespread contamination with the PFAS chemical, which is known as a forever chemical in terms of how pervasive it is. And it talks about uh, a particular example in Michigan, in the United States, um, where communities have been impacted greatly with many health concerns due to this military-based contamination. Following that, we have a short film created by the Empire Files, which also explores military-based contamination in a different context. Um, This is in Hawaii, where there is the notorious case of the Red Hill tank, fuel tanks that are leaking fuel. And this is part of the U.S. Navy's base uh, in Hawaii. And Native Hawaiians have been campaigning uh, to shut down Red Hill. And so that's day one of the festival that explores this most egregious example of military-based contamination. And following the films, we have um, film discussions with the directors and other key people who are a part of the films who can really give us a first-hand look into these situations and also give us an update on what's happened since the films were made and how we can take action. So that's day one. And then day two, you know, takes this theme in a different direction. I think this is very interesting. It explores refugees crossing by boat. And this story in particular called The Crossing is a full-length film that shows firsthand footage of Syrian refugees fleeing violent conflict and war, crossing the Mediterranean Sea in a very risky journey, fleeing to safety in Europe. And then following their journey in Europe, 
living in refugee camps and what that experience looks like from a firsthand look. Um, it's a really interesting film. It captures footage that really most people never have a chance to see that kind of footage. Um, and then following the film, we'll also have a panel discussion uh, with a director and other key people who are involved um, in these issues and who can talk about the intersection of the war economy and the wall economy, uh, the way that there is the militarization of borders. And often it's the same companies that are fueling violent conflict, weapons manufacturing companies, and then they are also profiting off of the militarization of borders on the other end. Um, so that's day two. That's March 19th at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And I will pass it to my colleague, Rachel, to tell you about day three. Thanks, Greta. Yeah, our festival finale is on World Water Day itself. So that's March 22nd. And we're thrilled to be featuring the film Berta Didn't Die, She Multiplied. This is a celebration of the life and legacy of the Honduran indigenous, feminist, environmental, social justice activist Berta Cáceres. Um, just an incredibly important figure in social movements worldwide, but especially in Central America and Honduras. And this film really puts her life, her work, and her assassination within the broader context of the Honduran military coup. Um, also the victories and indigenous struggles that she was part of primarily to protect the Gualcarque River, which connects to global multinational mega projects um, whose harms are happening in Honduras and often whose profits are, flow are flowing to where I'm based here in Canada. Um, a really powerful film, and afterwards the panel will feature the director of the film and also some special guests who are featured in the film that we'll reveal a bit later. And maybe I'll share just some context for this whole film festival a little bit and why I'm so excited about it. It Part of the context is that, of course, during the pandemic, it's been harder to do in-person film screenings. Um, and so we decided to hold a virtual screening and ultimately that became a whole virtual film festival um, as a bit of an adaptation to the pandemic. But what it's turned out to be is a chance for people from all over the world to really watch these films together in live time and then to host these phenomenal panels. And we would not be able to have all these panelists in person in one spot, but then to bring the directors together, the stars, uh, the key activists that you see in these films to then get to talk to them after the film together with people all over the world, I think is really special. You know, one of the reasons that a film festival is more exciting than just going to a film is that you often have these interactive sessions. And I do think it's cool that we're sort of helping to invent the new concept of a virtual film festival where we can we can still ask questions. So what type of interactions um, will be possible? Will people be able to ask questions, speak to the key people behind the film? Yeah, absolutely. There will be that interaction where audience members can ask questions. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's, it's really important to be able to have these key people from the film with us in real time so we can ask them, you know, what has happened since the film was created? Is there an update on the situation? We can get that insider look. Um, and then also for me, the really key part, too, is hearing from them. How can we take action for those of us who are concerned about these issues? Um, are there, you know, pieces of legislation? advocacy campaigns, fundraisers, et cetera, that we can do to contribute and, and help out with the issues that we'll be seeing throughout the films. 
So get your tickets at worldbeyondwar.org slash water and tickets are available on a sliding scale starting at $5 for the entire film festival. So we're trying to make this as accessible as possible. So we hope you'll join us then at worldbeyondwar.org slash water. Great. Well, I, I always think it's good for peace activists all over the world to take an opportunity just to be, be in a space with others and and communicate and show up. And this is a chance to do that. So thank you. Thanks for this intro. And next, we're about to meet a few creative people who are going to talk about their peace projects. So I'd like to take us out by playing a little music, which you'll hear more about in the conversation to come. So that's what's about to follow. And Greta and Rachel, thanks for telling us about this film festival. And I'll see you there. Thanks for having us. Meses nos juntamos y esta vez cinco jóvenes seremos los promotores de paz por venezolanos, generando los espacios y tomando iniciativas de manera inclusiva para resolver conflictos con diseños creativos y con mucha escucha activa. Welcome to episode 33 of the World Beyond War podcast. I'm really excited for the conversation we're about to have because we've gathered together four young people who have been part of an exciting and truly global peace education program, Peace Education for Action and Impact, and also talking to World Beyond War's Director of Education, Dr. Phil Gittens, who will do a much better job than I can of explaining what Peace Education for Action and Impact is all about. I'm so eager to introduce our guests that I think I'll jump right in and do so. The four people we've gathered today are Irina Bushmina in Kiev, Ukraine, Stephanie Efevotu in Abuja, Nigeria, Brittany Woodrum from Lexington, Kentucky, and Aniela Caracedo from Valencia, Venezuela, who is currently in Mississippi, United States. I'm going to ask each of the four of you to introduce yourself and take a couple of minutes to tell us not just who you are, but why you made a decision to become involved in peace building. We're recording this interview in February 2022, a time of extreme global tension and fears of a new war in Europe that might be coming down hard in the place that one of our guests is speaking to us from today. So let's start with Irina Bushmina, who is speaking from Kiev, Ukraine. Thank you for being here today, Irina. Can you tell us something about your background and what is going on in your part of the world right now, as well as what what brings you to to the world of peace building? Hello, everyone. So two words about me. It's um, I'm trainer of business etiquette and communication and pro- in professional life. And I'm a member of uh, Rotary International, so from Rotaract. And since this year, I also became a member of Rotaract for Peace. And uh, I would say that... Um, 
one year ago, I didn't know nothing about peace. I mean, uh, of course, I knew the word peace, but I had my own vision. What exactly is it? And the only one stuff what I knew about it, it was um, peace. It's something where there is no war. And when someone had been telling to me, oh, let's do a peace project, I have been si sitting and thinking, what do you mean? Like, what does mean peace project? Like, I cannot go to the place where the war and just stop doing, like, stop this war. So I didn't understand what exactly is it. And um, I'm in the social project, like, I work in the social projects in Rotary International during the last 11 years. So, and now I'm leading it, leading Rotaract, and that's why I understood that, all right, next year I will have a huge team who will create a lot of projects and I have to understand everything in it. And I got a couple of people who came to me and said, like, I want to do peace projects. Do you want to be involved in it? And I said, yes, of course. So... I have been telling during the whole of my life yes to everything, like just to try everything in the life. So, of course, when I have been telling yes, I want to be involved in peace projects, I understood that it's cool to be involved in it, but I have to understand what exactly is it. And when I saw um, projects like War Beyond War, then I understood that it's exactly what I need. And exactly with help of this program, I can really do something more for my team actually it was more not about myself it was more about my team to help them to create what they want to do so actually that's why i started to be part of this program thank you irena and uh, there is so much going on in your country right now um can you just say a word about what it's like to be in kiev as a crisis unfolds Yes, I would say that um, generally in Kiev, like in the capital of Ukraine, everything is calm. Um, so we don't have war now, but everyone is fully stressed uh, because um, actually in Ukraine, we don't speak about war. But all the time we hear from other countries, like people are writing to me each day. I'm per personally me, I'm getting minimum 10 messages from people who are writing, oh, go away from this country. Oh, we can help you. You can arrive to us. Like, I would say the general situation in the country is some kind of calm, but all of people who are writing from abroad, they're making us much more stressed. So. I think I think people tell more about the situation as we feel it. What a great answer and you know I have to say that just hearing the calmness in your voice is a contradiction to to the you know sort sort of fear that we are hearing projected about your country. Thank you. Um so happy to have Stephanie Efevotu from Nigeria. Stephanie, can you tell us about yourself and what brings you to this to this world of peace building. Okay, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, depending on where you are joining from. I'm so happy to be a part of today's conversation. I'm Stephanie Nefevotu from Nigeria. I'm currently a doctoral student at the Department of History, University of Ibadan, Nigeria, with my doctoral thesis focuses, uh, focusing on the role of the Catholic Church in building peace in post-Civil War Nigeria. Uh, beyond being an academia, I also work with the Building Blocks for Peace Foundation, a non-governmental organization, a youth-led non-governmental organization committed to promoting peace across communities in Nigeria through peace education programs, advocacy, uh, sensitization, awareness creation, and so on. 
So for me, my journey into the peace building space, should I say it's more complex, but I officially I got into the space in 2019. But before then, I grew up in a polygamous home wherein I got to understand the value of having an education, the comparison between my mom uh, uh, with, an ed with an education who is educated as against having stepmothers who are not educated. So I, I lost my dad at an early age. My dad died when I was 17. So after his death, I saw how it played that between having a mother that is educated and committed to sending children to school and having people without this education and without this awareness uh, about sending the children to school and also how it plays that within the extended family that the, the bond that ties you together is no longer there. The, the uh, father that is like the Con, uh, the connector between all the gates is no longer there. So in such situation, we had issues of conflict. Every gate to itself, we don't see each other. See, okay, it's only when there's occasion we come to meet and you, you see people not even caring about how you live. So for me, I said to myself that this is not the kind of life I want to be. And, and, and yeah, I want to live in a life where no matter what, be it whether I get married to a millionaire or what, I must be educated. I must pave a career for myself. I must fend for for myself, do things for myself because you don't know tomorrow. So I started this journey, but I really did not know anything about oh, there's something you can put, you can put it in, can create awareness and all of this. So I started this this journey, did my first degree in history, second degree in history. But still pushing on, on the uh, paving a way for myself in this, in this world. So 2019, I met a friend in an academic workshop. So we were just discussing. I was like, ah, the insecurity in this country is becoming too much, and young people are usually the the uh, the, the people facing uh, this issue. You go to the north, the south, the east, and the west, everywhere problem what can we do about it i'm no longer feeling safe in this country but because of the passion i have i always have it in my mind that i would like to stay in this country probably uh, visit outside the country for vacations then come back again but my country is my country i can't leave it but i was like oh, with this state of insecurity what can we do so he told me that he works in a peace building organization. This is what they do that on their own part, they do advocacy, trying to raise awareness on the need for peaceful coexistence. So I was like, oh, really? Such a thing as this. He was like, sure, he does. So he introduced me to the Building Blocks for Peace Foundation. So I, I started interning with them, but because I had no background in peace building, and since I now have any degree from peace and security, and I was already done with my master's at this stage, I was like, oh, on my own part, I have to start building my capacity in this area. So I started with uh, taking short courses and attending trainings related to peace building, trainings from the United States Institute for Peace, training from, from uh, UNITA, and any program I see on 
peace and security, especially with with regards to to youth uh, peace building. I always try as much as uh, as possible to get involved because I believe that capacity gap uh, remains one of the reasons why young people are vulnerable to be used to be used as tool for perpetrating violence in this society so i think i can also spread that same message to people to build peace so so this is that i got involved in this whole journey and since then whenever there is program on training on peace and security uh, let's try and get involved which was also why i got involved in this perfy program thank you very much wonderful well Thank you. I, I have so many follow-up questions to ask you, but we're going to have to um, pace ourselves. Okay. And so I'm going to move on to the next person. Thank you for that. Brittany, please tell us who you are and what brings you to this program. Yeah. So um, I would say that my foundation in peace studies actually starts in Southeast Asia. So after graduating undergrad, um, I'd studied nonprofit administration, which ultimately led me to work for a number of NGOs and mission-based work around the world. Um, and I really fell in love with Southeast Asia and specifically Myanmar. I was living there for a little over a year. Um, and if you know anything about Myanmar, you may know that it's been in the news quite a bit in recent years um, for a lot of peace and conflict issues. And I was actually there in 2016 and 2017 um, helping with a women's empowerment group. And that was um, when the initial wave of the genocide actually began, and I never heard anything about it while I was in the country. It wasn't actually until I left the country that I learned of this. <laughs> and I remember feeling so helpless and so guilty and just horrible that something this atrocious could happen like in my backyard and I not even know about it. Um, and so I've always been a humanitarian at heart. I think ultimately I would like to work in humanitarian assistance um, whether it be disaster relief or helping refugees or IDPs. And a lot of that goes hand in hand with peace studies and peace work. So in 2019, I actually returned to the U.S. Um, looking to study humanitarian assistance. I moved to Denver, Colorado, where I started a degree in international security, thinking that it would be like about security of um, humans and like how to kind of seek out peace. It definitely wasn't. It was much more of like kind of how um, Irina defined it being like this absence of war or even like protecting um, our interest through a bolstered um, like military stance versus this like definition of positive peace, which I really didn't learn until this course that we took um, in the fall of 2021. Um, but at the same time, whenever I moved to Denver, I was looking for a way to get more involved with humanitarian assistance as well as my new community. And I found an organization called Shelterbox, um, which is actually the um, like international disaster relief partner of Rotary. And so I got very involved with Shelterbox and as a result, got very involved with Rotary and learned about their Rotary Action Group for Peace. And from there, I think it was kind of just a snowball effect where I started taking courses and then someone recommended me for um, the World Beyond Wars Peace course that we took this past fall. Um, and yeah, I'm very excited to see where it goes. Um, but ultimately, I'm hoping that by studying peace, I can actually um, kind of work 
toward this, the root causes of a lot of conflict. Um, I think a lot of humanitarian work, it's while it's so important, a lot of it is band-aid work where we're just trying to, um, you know, help the, the results of, um, like breakdowns that could have been actually prevented had there been more peace talk and conversations at the start. Wow. That, that sure says a lot. Um, Annie, you are on the board of World Beyond War. We're very thrilled to have you there. Um, can you tell us again who you are and what what brings you into the, the world of peace building? Thank you for the invitation. And I just, I'm fascinated to hear everybody's stories. And I've, I think I've met many of them, but I never had the opportunity to hear their backgrounds. And it's, it's amazing. So thank you for sharing and thank you for the invitation. And as for me, I like to say that I am a global citizen with a Venezuelan heart. Um, I love my country, but I love all the countries and I, I love the concept of a global citizen. So I, I, I go by that. Um, I'm also in the war, in the board of War Beyond War, as you mentioned, and I'm involved with Rotary. I'm a Rotary youth programs alumni. I was in Iraq and I was an exchange student to Venezuela, from Venezuela to the United States the year that the pandemic hit. So I got stuck in the U.S. because Venezuela and the United States, they don't have diplomatic relations. So I got stuck here and now I live in southern Mississippi in a beautiful little community. Um, so I got involved in peace building because I, I think, right, I don't know. But I think growing up in Venezuela, um, we, we are in a really complicated political and humanitarian um, crisis. Uh, we are in a dictatorship and I saw my country damaging progressively. Like I, when I was a baby, everything was stable and it was okay. And as, was, as I was growing up, I saw the political crisis and the humanitarian crisis and the social devastation that we now experience. And um, it has been pretty complicated. And um, But I think I, I had the opportunity to grow in a little bubble with my mom and my dad, because my dad, and I never realized this until you ask me this question. My dad was in the military uh, and he is he has a security background and my mom is a lawyer. But whenever the judicial system in Venezuela crashed, my mom decided to stop practicing law and she um, got involved in community building. And the, we, she found an organization that's called the School of Citizens or the Community Center in, in Caracas, Venezuela, the capital. And all the change makers in the country happened to meet in that place. And I grew up there. I was 10 years old, seeing all these wonderful people working on peace building and community development in a country that was collapsing. So I was pretty, pretty lucky to leave that. And then I got involved in the model of United Nations, in the model of the UN, and all the committees I participated was human rights and the UNESCO and the UNICEF. And that was my passion. That's what I love. And um, in 2017, the Venezuela was going through a really hard moment. We had, we had no food whatsoever available. Doesn't matter if you had or not money, food wasn't available. Um, electricity was unstable as wet as water, um, running water. 
it was a pretty tough time and all my friends were leaving the country. Um, I went through a really uh, severe, I will say depression. I never went to therapy and never went to psychology, but I should have. Um, but I was really in a really tough spot. And then I found a um, music festival and my life completely changed because I was in, I don't play till this day. I don't play any instrument. I don't sing. I don't, I just wanted to be involved in it. And, um, I found this music festival and it changed my life. And then I got my school involved in it and I saw the transformation of the students there, of my classmates. And I decided we needed to make that bigger. We needed to be, we needed to transform the festival into a priest project. And um, right after I graduated from high school, I came to the U.S. as a goodwill ambassador from Venezuela to the U.S., Venezuela, that a country that didn't have diplomatic relationships with the U.S., and everybody had a super different perception of my country. So I served as a goodwill ambassador, and I got involved with international projects with Rotary, and then the pandemic hit, <laughs> and um, I started a network of youth exchange students and interactors from around the world. And we started sharing projects and, and, and ideas and building meaningful relationships through the internet. That's called Rotary Interactive Quarantine. And right now we are 900 students from 80 countries. So we ourselves became our own peace, you know, peace builder, peace building project. And then I got involved in the Rotary Action Group for Peace and Rotary Act for Peace. And then I met Phil and it, I, it was mind blowing whenever I was listening to, to him and the idea of the this program because I thought this is what I really want to do with my life. I And I, I thought I want to learn how to do a peace project so I can do the festival. I can help the festival and make that a peace project. And that's what I'm working on right now. Uh, so that's how I'm, I got involved. I think it, there are so many different components that just align with, with my life mission, I guess. <laughs> Wow, I I am so inspired by all of your answers. Um, really, this this fills my heart because it's easy to feel discouraged about you know where things are going, but the energy I feel from all of you is inspiring. Um, let's now um, open this up to the person who put this all together and made it happen, which is Dr. Phil Gittens. Um, now I have follow-up questions for each of you. If you see me scribbling down as we as as each of you talk, that's because each of the things you've said have have um, given me questions I must ask each of you. But we're going to take turns, and I think Phil would like to say a few words about what this whole program is um, and how World Beyond War and Rotary are working together. Um, and and I think perhaps ask a question as well. And then I will get to some of my follow-ups. We have so much to talk about, but let's open this up to Phil. Thank you so much, Mark. And uh, I just want to say it's a complete pleasure to be on this podcast with some wonderful young leaders from from four different continents. Uh, we have learned so much from you and, and want to thank you for your leadership. And thank you to you, Mark, for, for putting this together. So yeah, I thought it might be helpful. Uh, we're talking a lot about... Um, the Peace Education and Action for Impact program. It might be helpful if I just say a few words about this program, maybe its origins, the rationale, its purpose, um, and, and maybe some of its impacts. So to start off with, Peace Education and Action for Impact is a leadership development program. It's designed to connect and support 
next generations of young peace builders. Um, Through a knowing, being, doing framework, the programme engages young leaders in participatory processes of peace education, mentoring, and then culminates in the co-creation and implementation and communication of high-impact, youth-led, community-engaged, and adult-supported peace projects. Um, We're going to hear firsthand in terms of how the Peace Education and Action for Impact programme helped facilitate moments of transformation, perhaps at the individual and community level. But I just wanted to say it might be interesting for learners to know a little bit, where did this idea come from and, you know, and who worked on it? And so I want to just say a few words about that. So, so the project that took place in 2021 had a long history. Um, and it emerged out of kind of about 20 years worth of experience of developing leadership and peace-related, broadly defined, uh, initiatives with and for young people. Uh, In particular, a lot of the conceptual work uh, around the model uh, took place during the doctorate that I did in international conflict analysis and the first book that I wrote. But after that, I had many chances, and I'm very fortunate to have many chances to put some of the ideas into practice, most most notably helping to develop and, and create another program, another wonderful program called New Gen Peace Builders. Um, in addition to developing in a variation of the model for, for, for New Gen, um, I was fortunate to run the first program outside of the US, the, run the first program with university students, etc. And of course, this work by New Gen has led to the creation of a wonderful rotary supported program called Youth and Peace in Action. And I'm so proud of how, how it's continued to develop. So, so there's some of the roots But this work could not have taken place in 2021 without two entities in particular collaborating. And those two entities are World Beyond War, which, as we know, is an award-winning global uh, nonviolent movement to end war and establish a just and sustainable peace with membership in 192 countries and chapters around the world. World Beyond War won the Global Educators Challenge. And in 2021, the US Peace Prize Award. So we're multiple award winning. Um, The other entity was the Rotary Action Group for Peace, which is an action driven group of Rotarians, Rotarian spouses, Rotaractors, working together for the purposes of advancing peace and preventing wars throughout the world. So I'm very fortunate to kind of wear both hats. So I, I work in the education area for, for World Beyond War. And I'm also a Rotary Peace Fellow and, and um, a Positive Peace Activator, which is a collaboration between Rotary and the Institute for Economics and Peace. So what I wanted to do really was, after speaking with World Beyond War about this idea of the project, was to try and build in co-leadership of the project. There's a partnership between World Beyond War and another global entity. So given given my background, experience with Rotary, I then approached the Rotary Action Group for Peace, and in particular, Alison Sutherland, who deserves a massive shout out for her leadership, um, to see if they were interested in collaborating with, with World Beyond War on this program, project. Thankfully, they said yes, we signed an MOU, and then we created a global team to, to oversee the, the first year pilot in 2021, which was made up of both people from Rotary Action for Peace and, and World Beyond War. It was here really where I presented the, the overall kind of vision and model of, of the program and uh, invited feedback from Rotarians, from World Beyond War, et cetera, with, with regards to this. So in, in the end, we ended up putting this project together. We started with this ambitious idea 
of 10 countries. And we thought that was a bit crazy. 10 is far too many. Well, in the end, it's, it ended up being 12 countries. And, and the project in 2021 was, it's a first of its kind. It's the first time in the peace building field in general, but also a first of its kind for Rotary and for World Beyond War, that this type of project has happened. Um, it brought young people uh, um, and communities together from 12 different countries across four different continents to engage really in what we call a developmental process of reflection, which is the education part, and action, which is the peace projects part, um, specific to both promoting peace and challenging war. And this is quite important. We might come back to it after. Uh, the, the, the 12 countries were Cameroon, Kenya, Nigeria, South Sudan, Ukraine, Russia, Serbia, Turkey, Canada, US, Colombia, and Venezuela. <gasps> Breathe. So, so, so those amazing 12 countries, each country project team was constituted by what we call 14 or more different people. So there was two overall coordinators who had leadership for, for the program. And they, they were responsible for then recruiting the rest of the team, which were made up of two adult professional mentors and then 10 young people, generally 18 to 30. Um, part of the, the, the kind of rationale behind the program as well, it must be said, is that looking around at the peace building field, there's some great work being done, but there's also gaps as well. So part of the idea for putting the Peace Education for Action uh, uh, for Impact program together was to address some of these gaps. For example, there's often, and I often speak to many people all over the world, doesn't matter where it is, there's always this gap between education and action. You know, so we really wanted to try and address that gap. There's also this kind of, and, and Annie and others and I are working on this, this, this gap between, you know, the young people and the adults, you know, where hopefully part of the idea of the, the Peace Education Action for Impact program was to try and facilitate spaces for intergenerational collaboration, intergenerational learning and action. And also the idea of cross-cultural learning. So, for example, look, look who we've got on the podcast today. You know, we can learn so much from Venezuela. We can learn so much from the US. We can learn so much from Ukraine. We can learn so much from Nigeria um, that can be perhaps taken to other different contexts, you know, to improve learning overall. So the program was designed to facilitate cross-cultural learning. And it was also designed to contribute to what we call global policy agendas. So the Sustainable Development Goals is a global policy framework. The youth peace and security movement is a global movement. So we wanted to contribute to these global movements, but at a local level. So a project in Venezuela will look different to a project in the US. And you're going to hear from the, the, the young people about their project shortly. So this was part of the, the idea of the program. But the question then was, okay, let's now what do we do? And we split the program into two, in broad, broad terms, two parts. One, peace education, to peace action. So part one was a six-week peace education online course. Um, and over the six weeks, the, the participants had, had the opportunity to go through six different modules, everything from, and what we, what we called it was addressing the head, the heart, the hands of peace building. So in the first two weeks, we addressed the head. So this is the concepts, theories, ideas, of peace building. Um, module one was called an introduction to peace building. And then module two was understanding systems and their influence on war and peace. 
But we know peace building. We're not a brain on a stick. And you can quote that one. We're not a brain on a stick. We're, we're, we're human beings with hearts and hands. So we wanted the, the next two modules to really look at. And through feedback, we've got a lot of good feedback that this was really important for the young people that to look at how we go about being in this peace building work. You know, so the, the emotions, the feelings. So we had one one week which looked at ways of being with self, really turning the inwards. Um, looking at ourselves, you know, Gandhi spoke about be the change you want to see in the world, right? Um, we can't control other things ha- happening out in the world always, but we can try to control ourselves, right? Uh, and then the the fourth module was ways of being with others. So how do we actively listen? How do we be in dialogue with others? And then modules four and five uh, were the, what we call the hands of peace building, which, re- which combined looked at how do we design, implement, monitor, evaluate, and communicate peace projects. These six weeks really kind of were designed to draw from and leverage some of the leading thinking, research, theory, practice in the peace building field. This includes leveraging um, ideas and methodologies from Rotary Partner Institute for Economics and Peace, in particular, the Global Peace Index, the Positive Peace Index, etc. So that was part one. Part two was when they move on to, to, to really kind of the impactful thing of the project is they go and do their own peace projects. And you're going to hear from young people shortly about that. But um, over eight weeks, they work together in the country project teams to design, implement, ev- um, evaluate and communicate their peace projects over eight weeks. We built in what we call kind of a community of practice along the way. And this was Hopefully, the idea was to bring the different countries together to share ideas about their projects, to learn from each other. Oh, look what you know, Stephanie and her crew are doing in Nigeria. Look what Annie's doing. Look what Brittany's doing. Look what Elena's doing in Ukraine and and um, Russia. So that that was hopefully hopefully that gives a bit of a broad overview in terms of in terms of the program. We've built in a monitoring and evaluation process, which we hope hope to kind of capture the the impact. Um, and, and this is made up of a monitoring and evaluation team. We have master's and PhD students from the University of Cambridge and, and Columbia, as well as a peace building expert and myself. And we plan to write up this work, by the way, in some leading journals, including the Journal of Peace Education. Um, and early results suggest that it's been uh, contributed to transformation at the personal and community levels. Now, I, I, there's no better people to hear about how it's been transformation, transformational or impactful than, than, than young people themselves. So I, I don't think I need to say anything more about that. So I think perhaps we can lead on to a next question. So the question is, how has the program contributed to your process of being and becoming a peace builder? Adina, please go ahead. So I would say that during this program, I got a lot of insights as a person and as a future or already present uh, peace builder. Um, and one of them was that, uh, like, I cannot say actually that I got a lot of, that I everything what I got during class, let's say half a year, it was only because of this education program, but because at the same time I made mil- millions of other stuffs. But I would say that I understood that uh, such kind of program needs to, uh, do everyone who is connected with Rotary International because we are doing millions of stuff but not don't knowing what exactly and how we need to do it. Um, I also would say that I didn't uh, get 100% of information. I mean, like I didn't understand everything maybe because English is not my nat- uh, my 
my own language that I'm using each day. So, but um, I would say that the most important what I got is how to avoid provocation. Because uh, I worked in the Russian-Ukrainian team. And of course, uh, in my country, it's some kind of huge challenge to do it. And it wasn't really my decision to do it. It was the decision of my team. And um, it was like, of course, we had challenges how to make calm our friends. So uh, I would say that I learned how to connect friends and how to uh, don't drive no one crazy um, to um, like to finish some projects. And um, of course, it was a huge challenge for me, for my team. And uh, I would say that, um, yeah, like when I'm starting to speak about it, I have millions of thoughts and it's quite difficult to, <laughs> to mention when I'm starting to remember everything what was during this half of the year. But uh, I would say that this was the most important for me, and I create like I helped to create the team. I helped to support people, and I helped to uh, protect my team uh, from some people who was against some projects that we would like to do. And it was really a huge challenge for me, and this helped me to become more peace builder than I was before. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful response. So the the the, the uh, ability to make friends and not drive people crazy is a really important peace building skill. So so hats off to you. Good stuff. And it sounds like if you didn't use those language, but more broadly, it's it's skills around team building. It's skills around collaboration. It's skills around strategy, etc. So thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for that. So I think we move on to Stephanie next. So as a reminder, Stephanie, the 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 the, the question is. How has this program contributed to, and Irene is right, it's, it's, it can't do everything. How has it contributed to your process of being and becoming a peace builder? Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, so for me, this program has been very impactful for me in my uh, journey towards becoming a peace builder. Like I said earlier, I've been involved in the peace building space for quite some time, but since I'm not someone with an academic background in peace and conflict most of the most of the concepts used by peace builders are really quite they have not so familiar with all of them and they are concepts that that keep coming on every day so uh partaking in this course for example it it really exposed me to to knowing some of the uh, conceptual capacities and some of the concepts we as peace builders need to know and some of the things we can do to 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 really build peace uh, taking the course uh, there was a section of the course that really interests me which is the session about uh, uh, system thinking and understanding the peace system and the war system i'm familiar with the war system having the studied the uh, just war and all of them. But uh, coming close to understanding the peace uh, uh, system, this section I really find interesting was on what beyond war use of is it alternative uh, global security approach. So learning about it uh, got me thinking that, oh, uh, these are things we've been doing and these are things 
we can do in our work as peace builders. Uh, for example, for we in Nigeria, the section in that uh, uh, strategy that really excites us was on how we can uh, create a culture of peace within our own uh, uh, little space. Because I, I know within us as youth, as youth peace builders, it's difficult for us to talk about uh, strategies to reducing dependency on uh, military. This is something we cannot do. But within our own little way, what can we do? So it, it got us thinking, and I realized that, in fact, me as a peace builder, I'm, I, I've been playing some, uh, some role with regards to building a culture of peace. I have a blog. Through my blog, I post peace messages. So, so I see it's related to peace research, using research to to uh, promote peace. So which is some new concept I also learned from the course. I also got to know more about uh, uh, reflecting, uh, doing self-reflection as peace readers because I noticed that most times as peace readers, we focus more on being at uh, peace with others and often forget about how to be at peace with ourselves. So from this course, I get to learn about how we can also m manage our emotions, how we can even know when we are in our peace, because the truth is that we cannot promote peace when we are not at peace with ourselves. Then also finally, with regards to the doing, this course was really helpful for me in my journey as peace builder because it really taught me how to translate theoretical knowledge into real life reality so after we learned about all of these concepts and the likes we got to know about how can we do it on the practical real life level so we also identify projects we can do within our communities with uh, little resources and plan this project from writing a proposal to drafting action plan and and also to implementing that project uh, which I think uh, contributes meaningfully to my journey to becoming peace builder. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. Wow, some wonderful insights again. Thank you so much. And you've touched really on the knowing, being and doing part there. So the knowing part is around the important concepts that we, you know, we need to learn as peace builders. So as we know, in the program, we looked at well, peace. Uh, conflict, violence, and power, and, and the importance of looking at, um, you know, systems. Uh, we're embedding within systems. Uh, the, the, the downsides of the war system are pretty well known, but less known is, well, what do we replace the war system with? And that was part of the idea of looking at, you know, the the peace system, and, and we, we've got our award-winning uh, blueprint book, a global security system, which really lays out that um that peace system and i loved how you touched on the being part in terms of self-reflection you're totally right most of the intention in peace building goes like let's go and help these people out there far away you know uh where really you need to be in touch with yourself and in tune with yourself first so thank you for bringing that up and it's really great in terms of hearing the, the doing part of connecting this reflection and action part so thank you stephanie for that and um yeah great reflection so i think we'll move on to Brittany now. Brittany, so, so just a reminder of the question, Brittany, how has this, how has the program contributed to your process of being and becoming a peace builder? Um, yeah, so thanks, Phil. I would definitely echo a lot of what Irina and Stephanie said. Um, 
I think what this course did was give me the vocabulary um, for everything that I needed to work in peace studies and peace work. Um, Because I think up until taking this course, you know, people talk about peace and it seems like this very abstract, unattainable idea. It's like, do we want world peace? Of course. But I think that World Beyond War did a really great job of laying out that blueprint with their AIGSS system and like being able to say, you know, this is how we do it and giving you those very concrete attainable steps that were, you know, breaking down this huge problem into, yeah, like measurable attainable chunks. Um, I think it also was very empowering um, just being able to work with these young people from around the world, many countries that are like at some, like the crux of some very big, peace and conflict questions and seeing how we all were able to work on these small, um, yeah, just working in our own community um, to make a difference. And that's what it takes, right? Just like small little steps all around the world. And I think that doing that through young people is the key, right? And um, it was really inspiring to be able to work together um, and learn together and then be inspired by one another's projects. Um, and yeah, I just found that extremely empowering and, um, having the, the guidance from world beyond war and rotary peace for action was, um, so helpful and ultimately, yeah, just giving you that, the vocabulary and understanding that we needed to, to build that foundation. Thank you, Brittany. Yeah, these are really great kind of comments. Thank you. Yeah, that that idea of the vocabulary, how to go and talk about peace, you know, really, really useful. And and you touched on another great thing, which was kind of a byproduct or another goal of the program, which was to try and kind of facilitate leadership, right? Because it's a leadership development program. So young people need to have these spaces to kind of to go out there and and, you know, work in collaboration with other team members to design the projects, to implement the projects without being too adult kind of led so hopefully and we I'm sure we're going to talk about this you know moving forward but I'm glad that you know that you find it quite empowering um, in that respect and you know the opportunity to engage with other young people from different parts of the world is yeah really enlightening as well so thank you for that Brittany and um, yeah if we can move on to you Annie how did it contribute to your process of being and becoming a peace builder yeah so definitely this program has been a transformational experience um I, I the, the content. I think this led the foundation, the academic foundation for my peace builder um, journey, and I discovered through this that I really want to study this. I want to do this for a living. I wanna, I want a profession on peace building, and this was the absolutely, uh, an absolutely amazing foundation for that. The the content I think was was outstanding, and it went like it was understandable from like a PhD person and me that I just graduated from high school. So I was amazed to to be classmate with people that was in like graduate programs and then here in a high school student Annie. And and I think that's that was fabulous. And it made me reflect on what I know, who I am and the ways I do things. I think that was in you know the, the 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 approach that the program had and and I think it was a really a transformational experience and set the academic foundation for I will say my future and the network and having the opportunity to work with professionals like Phil 
and in the war being war team and the road of the action group for peace um and, and people like 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 you guys like Brittany and and Irina and and stuff and, and um so it's it has been just wonderful transformational and i had the opportunity to network with international people and people in my own country. I mean, my team was amazing. I didn't know them before. And now we are really good friends and we are getting we're getting closer to work with uh, peace projects in Venezuela. So it has been just a transformational experience and I am grateful to be part of it. Thank you, Annie. We're, we're so grateful that you were part of it. And I loved, I loved what you said there because it was one of the challenges that we you know, we were trying to, to, to work through is how do we bring in this high level material masters, perhaps PhD level stuff, but make it accessible to people. So you're right. We did have people on the course that have never studied peace ever before. And we had people on the course that have their masters in peace and conflict studies, you know, and even though speaking to those that have done their masters in peace and conflict studies, because I've spoke with them separately, they said, Phil, we never covered this stuff on our masters in peace and conflict studies program and it was so useful so so yeah it was great great to hear that feedback one of the things after listening to all four of them I, I always remember this kind of saying I don't know exactly where it comes from but it's a really useful kind of way of thinking about education it doesn't matter what we at World Beyond War Rotary Action Group for Peace cover on the program in terms of content the important thing is what participants discover you know so it doesn't matter what we cover the most important thing is what participants discover. And we've heard, you know, d great examples of what people have discovered or, or, you know, improved or developed, et cetera, through this process. So, yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, a few things that stuck in my head from what each of you said. Um, Irina, your phrase, we don't speak about war here in, in um, Kiev. That contrasts with me, for me, with the fact that here in New York City and here in the United States, we talk about war all the time. You can't watch a football game, you know, without seeing commercials for war. Um, we've got armed police who look like soldiers walking our streets with machine guns. I mean, I feel like here in the United States, it's, it's a rather militant um mentality. And so it's so meaningful to me to hear that in Kiev, which is actually, you know, threatened. Um, I don't know threatened by who, whether NATO, Russia, it's certainly threatened. Um, Kiev also, or Ukraine has suffered through the horrors of World War II, the horrors of Stalin's famine in the 1930s. Um, and yet, there is where we don't speak about war. So is it, is it, and I'm also thinking how Brittany said um, that when you were in Myanmar, you, you were not really able to, to um, know or find out the information that you then found out about the country when you left. Well, which one is right? Because is it the fact that we are talking, and I'm going to address this question to Irina, but maybe, a, you know, I think it's a question all of us could relate to. Is it that when when you say we don't speak about war, is that a wish for peace? Is it because um, the the rumors of war are exaggerated? What what does that mean <laughs> um, to be in, to be in a country that the entire world sees as threatened by war and not speak about war? So first of all, I want to say that uh, all the time when I'm saying something right now, I'm saying it only from my perspective. 
So of course there are thousands of other people who see everything in other way. So and I'm sitting in Kiev, so I'm sitting in the capital. It's for me it's some kind of far away from the eastern part of Ukraine where there is real war. So it's also different um, parts. So here are, is calm. There on the eastern part now there is war, and during last days uh, there are people who died. So of course um, we speak about war, but also maybe my society talks not so much like that society in which I'm spending my time because also me personally I know like I'm working in the business etiquette so I know that topic war it's some kind of um, not the best topic if you want to spend time with people yeah. so mostly if you speak about war then it's really close people close people like some friends or your family where you really can share your feelings but um, we are trying not to talk too much about war because we don't see it like physically right now when I'm looking to the window I don't see it and we have something in the head like if you don't talk too much about it maybe it will not happen so of course inside of us we understand what is happening we understand what can be but we don't see the sense to um, to destroy the whole life right now only because we want to talk about it as much as we are talking as much we believe as much we are stressed and then we are not living our life we are just talking about something bad so yes can be, but we don't want to talk about it. But for example, um, yesterday I created, like I initiated one training for Rotaract and Rotarians, uh, exactly about to talk about it because we have everything, all of these bad feelings we have inside. And uh, as I mentioned, like we are stressed. We don't speak about it, but we are stressed because of it. So yesterday we created um, training with Scott Martin, one Rotarian, uh, Rotarian, and we spoke about topic like inner peace against war. So there we like we had Zoom call and we really mentioned what which uh, which fears we have, like what we are scared because of, and what we don't like. We don't know what to do if something will happen. We don't know what we need to do now, what we need to think, what we need to feel. And of course, yesterday when we spoke about it all together, like actually, let's say, huge family from the different cities, um, everyone was so honest, and we felt so much good, like let's say, different vibes, but also good because we saw our um support we supported each other so of course after talking it's getting a little bit less uh, stressed but um stay with still we try not to do it so much to stay more calm Brittany, since i i had mentioned your experience in in myanmar i'd like to know more about uh you know that the experience of being inside a country that has a, a legacy of war and then leaving it and having two different perspectives. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, and I, I wonder if it's, um, there's probably multiple things happening here and also very similar to Arena, you know, my perspective is only one of many and also as a foreigner, I do not know how much agency I have to like speak on this topic, but um, I, I almost wonder if it's, also a question of being a foreigner in a country where, um, you know, as much as I did to learn the language, I was never going to be fluent. And so maybe like local newspapers or local news, things were much more apparent. 
Um, but I will say censorship, censorship, at least in English papers, was very extreme. Mm. Um, and um, also, I know that social media had a huge role in um, uh, eventually what happened in Myanmar and that people were only getting one type of homogeneous news. Um, and that led to you know people feeling entitled to their beliefs and thinking that this was how everyone felt. And um, it, it is amazing how how media and news can just spiral like that um, to create kind of this almost mob mentality. And we've seen that not only you know in Myanmar, we've seen that especially in the U.S. over the sure several has. years, um, especially yeah. having such a clear cut bipartisan um, kind of government system. For sure. Um, but yeah, as far as then being able to leave it, um, I I don't know. I mean, I think that's just one thing we always have to realize as individuals is like, where are we getting our information from? And if you have the ability to be able to take that step back and be able to digest a number of, um, you know, sources of information and talk to a number of different people to challenge your beliefs, I think that's one thing we really worked on in this course is looking at dialogue and how to have those tough conversations with people you might not agree with. Um, and I think that that's what like, like almost all conflict begins with a breakdown of conversation. And so being able to realize that um, that is the case, whether you're in a country or out of country or you're in the midst of a conflict or you're far away finding ways to create those mediums for, for dialogue um, are so key because if you're only having one source and you're only, you know, blindly believing one thing, then um, I think you're much more likely to, yeah, kind of follow, follow the the herd or follow that group mentality. Um, And I think that's definitely what was, that was at least part of what was happening um, in Myanmar. I think it's what I what I see and fear continuing to happen here in the United States as well. So yes, um, the the struggle to see all sides of a situation, the struggle to understand what other people are going through, and people who might not speak the same language and have different backgrounds. Um, Stephanie, it struck me when you spoke about the emotion that comes to the surface when when in you know peace discussion or peace education situations so in all of you know both your studies and your peace work and in real life what is that emotion about is it about local issues is it about national issues is it about global issues what is actually you know the day-to-day struggle of peace building or peace education from your perspective, and why is it emotional? Okay, thank you. The emotion that drives my peace-building work, I should say, is I'm focused about having a world uh, wherein the fundamental dignity of the human person is respected. So it can be both at the national, the local, and international level. Uh, For us, locally, we see... Issues of insecurity is, is so rampant in this society. So we keep uh, hearing uh, today, 
uh, kidnapping to tomorrow, uh, ritual killing and all of that. Uh, sustainable jobs is no there for young people. And all of these are threats to peace and security. So for me, I'm just trying to think about what can I do? What role? What role can I play? Because the truth is, this country is for all of us. We cannot really, even if we run and leave it, the country will be there waiting for us because anywhere we run to, we must surely uh, come back home. So these are the emotions that drive the work that I, that I do as a peace builder. Honey, I noticed you used one of my favorite phrases, which is global citizen. You said, I am a global citizen. I am also a global citizen. There aren't that many of us sometimes, though, who, who come out and say, I am a global citizen. This is close to my heart. I think that we need more global citizens. What does that mean to you? What, you know, where did that come from? Yeah, I, it came from module three in this program. Uh, whenever we were reflecting on who we are, I sit down and say, oh, my God, I don't know. I don't know who I am. I have no idea. Because every time that I introduce myself, it's like I am a 20 years old Venezuelan student. And then it's like, that's really who I am. That's really who I want to be. I don't know. So I started reflecting on it. And I had a little identity crisis for the whole migration thing. I left my country and came here. So I'm not 100% Venezuelan anymore. And I'm not 100% Mississippian. And it's it, it was an identity conflict that I had. And then it's like, I am everything I want to be. And I belong everywhere. And I then found the concept of global citizenship is like, this is who I want to be. Um, and But Venezuela is such an important part of my identity. And it's such an important part of who I am that I like to say that I'm a global citizen with a Venezuelan heart. Because um, it's Venezuela is the what moved me. Everything I do every single day of my life has to do somehow with Venezuela, even when I'm not there anymore. Um, so, and it, it means that I belong everywhere and that I love everyone because I belong where, like, I love this concept of Ubuntu, that I am because we are. Um, so I think that's, that's really my, my identity right now. So thank you so much. We've heard from everyone in terms of, um, let's say the learning from the program or some takeaways, etc. but I'd love to hear from each of you know the the young leaders about what they did in their peace projects talk about you know the problem that they wanted to address the process through which they wanted to address that problem and and any impact on a personal level community level wider that they would like to talk about in terms of their project so um my team created um projects with students so actually, when we decided, all right, so right now we need to create any project, any peace project. So we had millions of ideas. Of course, everyone wanted to keep something huge and organize really huge pro pro uh, project. But we understood that we have only one, two months to finish and to uh, understand if we have any impact. So we decided to kill two birds with one stone. And we decided on one side to do something good for people, like to listen what people need. And on the other side, we understood, all right, we want to remember everything what we learned during our uh, program. So let's give all our knowledge that we learned to other people. So we understood that um, 
like new generation who are going from the school, like uh, high school students, they are going from the school and of course they know what peace, but they don't know what exactly is it. So we decided to go to this like, um, let's say adult students and uh, to give them the whole information with, that we know. But of course, in the uh, game way, like we made something interesting, more interesting for them. And in such way, on one side, we uh, gave information to students. On other side, we repeated everything, what we learned. So right now we are sure that we will not forget it. Like it's, it really works. And uh, it had really huge impact because like on one side uh, because our team is separated part of us are in ukraine part of us are in russia so we did this project offline in different countries um, but at the end we understood that we have around 10 20 students who are already ready to do uh, peace projects like this let's say small children who are already ready to do something more for the world and they really understand what they want and how they will do it. And they are already writing to us that, oh, help us to do this because we want to know more. And it's really, um, it makes wonderful feeling that we did something that really uh, works, that we not just created any conference uh, for everyone, everywhere, but we did really something that will help for the students. I had a question for Ina. How was the, the experience working in that joint team? How was the process of working with them and what, what like what happened after? And, and right after we finished the program was the all this controversy and, and conflict. How was how was that experience? Uh, thank you for the question. So uh, actually, we have this uh, difficult situation between Ukraine and Russia since 2014. So um, I would say that nothing huge changed during last half of the year, uh, but it was quite interesting because anyway, we had to talk at first when we created the team, we had to uh, understand, like each of us had to understand which words we can use, how we have to listen to each other. It's not like we had something against each other, we just wanted to to listen to each other more than in the real life. So that's why it wasn't really a big problem because before we were friends. So actually this situation didn't change nothing in our uh, lives. We still, we are still friends. The only one small problem for us, it's, it's difficult to go to each other visiting like to other country and that's it. So still we create huge pro projects together and we have a lot of fun. So. And the only one, like, okay, second small project problem was when other people from the site, not, not from the team, but people who saw our team, they could say something like, how you can do something together. This was also a little, okay, huge problem and huge trouble for us, but we managed everything and we are happy because of it. Do, do you mean, Irina, that some people questioned whether this was a good thing to do? Because it seems to me so clearly a good thing to do. <laughs> yeah, um, people who are in the team, in this team who made this project, of course, we didn't have any questions because of it, because we, we are ready for it. We wanted to do it. But there are people who, on one side, they understand that um, 
that we need to do something together. We need to do these peace projects together, like Ukraine and Russia, because we are not speaking about governors. We are speaking about people in the country. Uh, so we need to work together. But on the, on the other side, and actually I understand these people too, uh, on the other side, um, our countries from the whole history, we are really patriotic countries. Like, I mean, in the good way, not this bad way, like we are not nationalists. We are really patriotic. So we love our country. And of course, inside of us, there is this some kind of feeling of protection. And of course, in each person, these two feelings are fighting to be together and to protect ourselves. But we understand these people, especially in such kind of situation. And we can't say nothing bad about them. But still, I'm really happy that around me there are a lot of people who um, keep this friendship uh, between people higher than just misunderstanding between countries. It sure is meaningful to hear about mm. this effort. Um, it means a lot to hear about this, so thank you. Stephanie, can you tell us about your project? Okay, thank you very much. For us in Nigeria, for our peace project, we decided to to look into some of the problems, the the critical insecurity challenges faced uh, are, are facing us as a country. So for us in the team, we are identified school kidnapping to be one of the uh, major security challenges facing us. So because we have noticed that within the last two years, uh, two years, there have been over 10 cases of mass kidnapping of students from their schools, from their, from their dormitories, uh, students are returning home from schools. Some of them have been kidnapped. And why some of them were eventually released, notice that some were killed when their parents refused to pay ransom. So we decided that what can we do about it because we noticed that uh, leaving everything for the security forces alone is not uh, going to yield any uh, sustainable result because the security the 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 problem is becoming so mounting in the face of other security challenges in the country so we came together to see that okay what can we do as young people to ensure we reduce issues of kidnapping but because most of us were scattered across the country, we realized that it will be difficult for us to 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 uh, to begin to do this uh, program individually. So we noticed that the best way we can try to reduce these issues of of uh, school kidnapping is to take a multi-stakeholder approach, bringing different groups together. So we realized that. Everybody have a role to play. So how can we build a collaboration between young people on one hand, uh, security agencies on the other, and, and their community actors? Because these are people that need to, to come together to reduce issues of school kidnapping. But because of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, in which uh, uh, schools most times I refuse people to come in for all this sensitization advocacy to reduce the spread of the pandemic and also the 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 bureaucracy involved in visiting the police and other security agencies. We know it takes time and the project we have a short time to to complete this project. So we decided that what will be the best approach to ensure that 
this uh, project get the maximum support that it deserves. Uh, so, we, uh, so we decided to use an online questionnaire approach. Uh, so we developed an online survey and uh, circulated to people within our network. So I shared to people within my, my NGO network and, uh, and a whole lot of the team also because most of us in the Nigeria teams are members of different NGOs. So we have a network between youth group, between security forces, and also between schools because through our peace education sensitization programs we've been doing, we have access to proprietors or and proprietors of schools. So we circulated this question. Yeah, asked them questions like. What do they think are some of the causes of school kidnapping in Nigeria? What are some of the consequences of school kidnapping in Nigeria? Then we ask for, for uh, recommendations on how they think collaboration can be made between the, the security agency, between youth group and their community actors to ensure that this menace is, uh, is reduced. We also ask for recommendations on how we think the Nigerian government can better empower the security forces. So at the end of the online survey period, which we gave them, we got uh, about 128 responses from this uh, respondent. Uh, so after we have this response, we say, okay, what can we do with this uh, result to ensure that the message gets spread to people that need to hear about it, which is a uh, policy makers, for example. So we decided to develop a policy brief based on the findings of the report, which we will circulate to these different stakeholders. So as I speak with you now, the policy brief have been fully developed, but we've sent it out for external review. So make sure that other people go through this policy brief to read it, to see if it's okay, if there are other things we need to be able to add to it. Uh, so we hope that before the end of this month or early next month, the policy brief will have been publicized for the public to consume with the hope that it will help to profess solutions to uh, collaborative efforts towards ending school kidnapping in Nigeria. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wow. Brittany. Yeah, so um, in the U.S., we actually did two separate projects. We had two groups kind of divide. And, um, well, one of the challenges definitely was um, my group, which was just two other girls. We were in, like, three very different places. Like, one was in Europe, one was on the East Coast, one was basically on the West Coast. Um, so that was a challenge and trying to find um, something that we could all do together that um, – yeah, kind of utilized our skills and passions and was still able to make a lasting impact. And one thing that we kept coming back to was music. Um, and I think one of the biggest challenges that we saw um, just coming out of the first part of this course was we had learned all these incredible lessons. But I think one of the biggest lessons we took away was that peace is a process. It's a journey that you know, you never end. It's not like you learn these lessons and then voila, you're a peace expert and, um, you know, we have world peace. It's like something that we are constantly working toward and we have to constantly remind ourselves of these lessons and 
develop these skills. And so um, we were like, well, how, how can we kind of create something that will be fun and that people will want to engage with not once, but multiple times throughout their lives to kind of come back to these lessons and to keep engaging with these very important lessons. And so um, our idea was to create a peace album. Um, and we did, we, we created what's called the peace accords with a, um, CH like musical chords. Um, and what that is, is it's an album of about eight songs. Um, so each of us went through and we created some song inspired by almost every one of the modules, um, in the first part of the peace course. So, um, songs that looked at like the peace system and songs that looked at inner peace or like invited people to meditate or that brought in, like asked questions to individuals about peace and um, tried to bring in tactics for dialogue. And you might be thinking like, it kind of sounds very musical theater. It wasn't so much that we were writing lyrics. It was more of this abstract inspiration of some of these lessons and each song and the entire album itself was actually accompanied by a PDF that really um, took the the listener through, posed some of these questions and then invited them to listen to it. So um, I, of the, of us three, I will say I was not the most musically talented, but I had a secret passion for music. And so one thing that I love doing is sampling, which is where you take um, speech and um, you'll put music to it. So like one of my favorite sample artists is um, it's public service broadcasting. And what they do is they took like famous speeches and then they'll put it to music or they did this incredible album about um, the space race. And like just listening to that, I only want to like put it on repeat and I'm like constantly reengaging with like this really deep and unique um, chapter of our history. And I think that's kind of what we were hoping to do with this album is create something that's fun that people will want to listen to again and again, and um, repeatedly um, kind of engage with these lessons. So um, like for me, I did a couple of speeches that were like, there's um, President Kennedy does this great speech that looks at um, like demilitarization and kind of the war system and poses a lot of questions that we talked about throughout this course, like back in the 60s. And, you know, listening to that song, I hope people kind of realize that like, oh, wow, we have been talking, we've been having this conversation for a long time. And the things that he is saying back in the 60s are still very present and um, yeah, relevant here today. Uh, and like I did a speech, um, one of Martin Luther King's speeches and put it to music. And again, just really posing these questions about um, strategies for nonviolence. And um, again, why are we still having these conversations or um, maybe just emphasizing that we do still need to have these conversations and here are some strategies and tactics for how you can do that. And, um, one thing I love about this project is like now that it's kind of created. So I, I guess ultimately what we were trying to do is see like how effective would a musical album like this be? So we had, um, about 25 people listen to it and give us feedback. They took a little survey and then we actually had um, like feedback groups where they came and told us what they thought about it. Everyone came away saying that they were inspired and like left feeling like they knew um, more about kind of peace studies and some of these strategies that we learned about in part one of the course um, and that they felt 
like inspired and interested to learn more, which I think was ultimately the goal. Um, but what I really love about this project is like, it's out there. Anyone can go and listen to it. Like if any listeners right now want to go and find it, you could probably reach out to World Beyond War and we can get you the album. It's not like polished and perfect, but I think that it really showcases that this medium, um, that being music and like a musical album is such a great tool for education and inspiration. Um, and that it is something that you can go back and it's like very, um, it's a great medium for it's very versatile in that you can listen to it if you, you know, if you're a teenager or if, um, you know, you've been a peace builder your entire life. If you, you know, this is, these are new topics or these are topics that you've studied in your PhD. Like, I think it's a really fun medium that people can repeatedly come back to. And yeah, like I said, it's not like we need to organize an event or anything. It's like, it's out there. So people can go and listen to it um, in a group or by themselves or whatever. So but yeah, ultimately just trying to create something fun, easily digestible that will help encourage people to come back to these lessons and be reminded and re-engage with them over and over throughout their lives. Could I drop a minute of, of one of your tracks into this podcast? Oh, totally. Right. Okay. I'll, I bet all of us love music. I know I do. Um, I think every human being does. So awesome. Sooner or later... All the peoples of the world will have to discover a way to live together in peace. If this is to be achieved, man must evolve for all human conflict, a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. Annie, can you tell us about your project? Yes, absolutely. And before I do that, I want to say that I think we're so aligned. And it's incredible because we never actually interact the, the, or teams barely interact more than like comment in each other on the post. But our team actually presented the, the, the problem and the process and the results of our project through a music. We did a song. Uh, that's how we showcase what we did. So that's that's incredibly exciting. And whenever we find out that the U.S. team was doing something similar, we we're just so excited. The majority of the people in our team are also involved with music somehow. So and we didn't plan that. So that's incredible. Um, our team we we had we we had so many ideas for projects, especially because we live in such a violent um, environment. We had many issues to address and many many problems that we wanted to tackle, but because of the time and in the conditions in, in Venezuela and the COVID-19 pandemic. And we we had a election, uh, regional elections going on and the people don't trash the government or, or any governmental institution. So we had several challenges and we decided um, whenever we started our conversation on what are we gonna do, we, um, talk about the 
collective trauma that we all have experienced on what like we we live in censorship all the time and we we believe we feel hopeless we believe that we cannot make any changes and we are a generation that grew up in a dictatorship i mean i'm 20 and i don't know any other government and and we were um thinking how can we address that what can we do to to address that feeling of hopelessness and and and, and empower people a little more um to make changes and so that was kind of our thought at first and then we thought well i think the the an space to to openly talk about it is the first step uh and a space to communicate how i feel and how how i think this we can make changes and and we thought about doing that first and then like but where like where are we going to do this where are we going to find the people then we realized that um condominiums are i don't know how familiar are you guys with that but those are buildings right they are little communities and they happen to be the only democratic institutions in venezuela the condominiums the buildings are the only place where the citizens have the opportunity to say i want this person leading my community i want to do this i want i can choose how to do it in the, the the democratic process so it's a, it's a fundamental um part of kind of democracy that we have and we thought well and then we also thought how do we include youth how do we include this generation that fe that feels hopeless uh that we feel that we cannot make any changes that we cannot go to our local governments and say you know these are the issues that we find in our communities so we thought combining it all together and we thought about opening spaces for young people to actually make changes in their communities um and my mom happened to be the director of an organization a national organizations with condominiums and they have their like a network of more than 1000 condominiums across Venezuela and they have been working on creating citizens and educating citizens for over 20 years so we connected with that organization and um we started a a process and we connected with a specific community in Caracas in Venezuela as a pilot program and and talked to them how do you feel about uh, your involvement in the community in the condominium um and the idea or initial idea was to assess their participation in the community and then create a uh, some kind of educational material where we could work with the young people and the older people in the community and see how they can work together to then um work together through uh, active listening because we identified that everything all the root in the program was that we weren't listening to each other um so that was kind of the overall idea but because of the challenges with the elections when whenever we approach the community they were hesitant they were they didn't know whether they could openly talk or not and then the covid-19 pandemic so we decided to adapt and we did a national survey assessing how the youth how the young people felt regarding their participation in the communities uh and we did it through the this organization that's called my micondominium.com in spanish it's like micondominium.org 
uh, and they have a broad network and we involve um, condominiums all over Venezuela. And now we basically created a, a database of people that wants to be involved in peacemake, peace, peace building through condominiums in both youth and um, the older community. So, and we, we show what we did in a song because uh, the majority of us, the majority of the team were musicians. I, I'm not. But um, so, and, and I think we, after we finished the program, the project, we wanted to do it like for real. We wanted to do a pilot programming in Caracas, in Venezuela, in a specific condominiums and then build uh, a success example on how other people can also do it. So that's the plan. <laughs> and would it be okay for me to drop a minute of that into this podcast too? Sure thing. <laughs> all right. All your songs are going to get a workout. Yes, Phil. Not just the songs, but um, just to let you all know, we are in the process of kind of turning your wonderful reports into kind of a three-phase process. Phase one, which will be two or three line kind of overview of each of the projects that we can get out there on will be on more social media, etc. saying what, you know, something like what happens when young people from 12 different countries come together to create projects. Here's, here's an example. That's phase one. Phase two, and I've done that, but phase two is kind of a more drawn out case study. And we'd love to be in contact with you in terms of the writing because you who know best the project, right? to come up with a one or two page kind of case study summary that will go in when I'm putting together the, the overall program report. So that's phase two. Phase three is we can use those case studies. Um, we, we have this image, this vision of having, uh, and Mark, others and I are working on this one, um, a separate kind of website, web page. We need Max, the expert on this, not me, um, that we can house your work, you know, that we can host and showcase your work. And part of the idea was to have a visual of a map, you know, the, the world map. Click, let's have a look what the US team and Brittany were up to. Who was on the team? Oh, there's the, you know, the 14 country project team. Here's the case study, etc. That's the idea and something that can be updated on a on a year by year basis, because we're now working with the Rotary Action Group for Peace. And we have another 10 countries in mind for this year, 2022, including Israel, India, Pakistan, Haiti, Ethiopia, among others. So that's the idea. Well, um, this has all been so much and so wonderful. Irina, Stephanie, um, Brittany, Annie, Phil, thank you so much. This is really inspiring. And um, we're planting seeds in, in the ears of all the people who will hear about this Hopefully the ears are connected to the brain um, and I hope these seeds will grow, but it is, it is so, it is so meaningful to, to just hear about the, the efforts that you, that you, each of you are doing, not, not because you're going to get wealthy off of it or because somebody's telling you to do it, but because you know, it's what needs to be done. That's, that means so much. Thank you everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Our podcast is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating. Visit worldbeyondwar.org to learn more about the social and environmental impacts of the war machine and get involved in the movement for a world beyond war.